welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast, where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work for social justice. Each week, we bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. Indeed, we want interdependent study to be a space we're always learning with one another. And Damien, you're up this week. Yes, so sir. what do you bring into the table today? Yes, I have brought an article to the table for us today. It's a really great one called Cop City and the Silencing of Dissent. Mm. Uh, and it was written by U.S. Representatives Cory Bush and Rashida Tlaib, which is pretty cool, I think. Uh, it was published by The Nation. So if you're listening and you want to check this article out, you can find it on their website, The Nation. And, and I know I mentioned this last week, but I wanted to bring a piece like this one to the table because I wanted us to have a follow-up conversation about this Cop City facility and the Stop Cop City movement mm -hmm. that we had on this podcast, if you can believe it, it was back in March. It was, yeah. Uh, it just seems like so long ago. Um, you know, I also wanted to have this conversation because I know we both have very strong feelings about this Cop City police base and, you know, really believe in the brave work being done by the organizers down there in Atlanta to stop it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm very happy that we get to continue this conversation, talk about what's been happening since then, including the continued police harassment and arrests of the organizers and activists that have been, that are camped out down there. Mm. Um, the recent charging of some of those organizers with state RICO charges actually by uh, the Georgia attorney general, you know, and the, what's great about this piece is that they sort of also talk about what this means and, and what's next, right? In terms of the work that Stop Cop City movement has done and needs to do, right? What we all can do, um, sort of given this increased attack on the rights of these protesters. And I think really on all of us, all of our rights as citizens in this mm -hmm. country, right? So I think there's a lot of application there. So yeah, you know, where do you want to start? What did you think of this article? Yeah, I thought it was great. I think it's it was really succinct to the point. <laughs> yes. Um, way of outlining how much suppression the local government is doing for organizing sort of pretty broadly. Yeah. They're right that this is a deliberate attempt to silence the kind of dissent from citizens through direct action, uh, which they put in quotes uh, in, in, the, <laughs> yes. in the indictment. Yes. Um, so, you know, representatives Tlaib and Bush uh, draw a direct connection between the force defenders and the civil rights movement, mm. like those nice lovely folks from SNCC we talked about last week. Yeah. And they ask this, quote, many leaders of the civil rights movement use the same tools of nonviolent resistance. They famously ran bail funds. This raises the question, would the state of Georgia today consider the nonviolent activism of civil rights leaders to be, quote, terrorism and arrest them for exercising their constitutional rights? Mm. And I think the answer to that, based on this indictment, seems to be uh, yes. Yes. Wholeheartedly. 100%. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that's wild to think about. Uh, yes. All the people who engaged in the civil rights movement were all participating in a conspiracy. Like, that's how it would be framed yes. by this attorney general. Yes. And this is what a white, a right wing, white. 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 Yep. There um, it is. <laughs> I would say that's a Freudian slip, but I think that I my voice isn't warmed up yet. But, yeah. you know, maybe it's both. Uh -huh. uh, this is what a white right wing state apparatus will do. Yes. They'll take 
any kind of threat to the current order and make it sound like the sky is falling. Wow, yes. And they'll approve tax expenditures despite overwhelming public comment against it, which is what the city council did. Uh, They'll work to block a referendum that uh, referendum process that puts the whole project on the ballot, uh, which is what they're trying to do now. Uh, they will work to lock up the people who are standing up against this project, which is what they're doing now too. And it's all really just smells like authoritarianism. And you know what Whoa. they say uh, when something <laughs> smells like authoritarianism? It probably is authoritarianism. Yep. It's like yeah. walking like a duck, yes. talking like a duck. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're spot on there, man. I think I think you're right about uh, how they framed this piece, this article. I mean, they did not mince their words at all or their analysis at all yeah. in, in sort of their comparison and in their work to sort of call these attacks what they really are. And I think you're right. We have to do that. Mm-hmm. We have to call this what it is. A duck is a duck. You know, we and I think taking a step further, we have to recognize and, and, and call out these right wing actions for what they are when they're happening. Because, you know, if we don't call it out when it's happening, then it continues to happen and it gets bigger, it gets bolder. And so I I, I appreciate that um, in this piece. I loved your analysis of it there. I think I think f- sort of further application of this that they go on to talk about in this article is how not only is this a, an attack on our right to free speech, our right to organize and, and protest, our right to sort of engage in movement work like this, but sort of this right wing nonsense, I think, has also been an attack on our right to defend ourselves against the government. And, mm. and they talk about this and it's happening across the country, which is, yeah. you know, just kind of mind boggling to see. So I pulled this quote, our rights to free speech and assembly and our due process rights to defend ourselves against politically motivated government charges are under attack. And it's not just in Atlanta. In Detroit, police beat and arrested Black Lives Matter protesters. Then the city relentlessly prosecuted them. Years and numerous legal defeats later, the city of Detroit is now paying more than $1 million to protesters whose rights were violated. In St. Louis, law enforcement routinely harassed and intimidated activists during the Ferguson uprising. Regardless of one's politics, every person in our country should be able to advocate for what they believe in, which is why it is crucial that we pay attention to what is happening in Cobb City. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I love that quote, right? I love sort of the end of that. I think it's, 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 a, it's a great thing. It's a big thing, particularly thinking about what's happening in Detroit to pay mm-hmm. these folks because their rights were violated. But it's another thing to think about how that just shouldn't have been the case. Like that yeah. shouldn't have happened in the first place. And that's part of these systems that we're trying to uh, abolish. That's, that's the reason why we're trying to abolish these systems. None of this should be happening in any of these cities we've mentioned or any of our cities, period. Yeah, and I, it also makes me think they named Detroit and St. Louis. It made me think of Portland yeah. uh, from 2020. Mm-hmm. It made me think of NDC yeah. um, when they cleared out uh, Black Lives Matter Plaza. Uh, they're... This suppression is happening everywhere, and some of it's being codified, you know, either in an attempt to codify it through legal precedent like this, yep. or in an attempt to or to actually codify it through the legislature of states. Yeah. And there's all kinds of stuff like that happening in right wing governments, state governments across the country. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's all nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> that they're that, but it's a, it's a real threat. Yeah. As well, and so it has. There has to be it has to be taken seriously and and we have we have to recognize that like ultimately this is stuff that cannot happen in the way that it 
that it currently is. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, another piece I wanted to talk about is I actually read a portion of the indictment. Oh, wow. Uh, a very, very, very small portion of okay. it. It's 109 yeah. pages, I think. Okay. Um, although the think? first like 13 pages of it are just like signature forms. Oh for all 61 I think of the people who are indicted in it. Okay. There it's a really weird mix of red scare politics and like overwrought legal hand wringing. So they call the people who are, are charged in this indictment as participating in a conspiracy, which there I alluded is. to earlier. Yeah, there it is. Uh, and it's surreal to read the summaries of anarchy, the political process, the the political philosophy by attorneys who wrote this indictment. It's like reading a half-hearted book report. <laughs> Jeez. Which is d- dumb. Yeah. Uh, they talk about mutual aid, which to put it super simply is just a way to make sure that people you're connected to with in, in some way have their basic needs met. Right. But they talk about it as if it's some kind of alien form of cooperation that couldn't possibly work here oh on Earth. Goodness. Uh, at least that's how I read it. Okay. Uh, and there's a way that they conflate the destruction of construction equipment and and other things that have been brought into this to begin this project as violence. And they use that word repeatedly to describe that because they want us to think about that kind of sabotage as violence. Yes. And not the police killing of Tortuguita as violence. Yes. Um, and so these tactics that sabotage the project to keep it from moving forward while the public process actually continues. And so it's a way to make sure that the public process actually gets followed in right. some ways and that they're not starting to do stuff prematurely, which they have been doing in a few different uh, circumstances yeah, and, and getting sort of the cart in front of the horse, so to speak. Uh, a few times and that was stopped because the equipment was was damaged or destroyed and that's not necessarily violence no uh, it, and so it's it's an interesting thing to read through as they talk about how anarchy is violent and it's all of this all of these ways that they're trying to conflate this with like these dangerous violent people who are participating in a conspiracy against the government. Yes. And so it's a very, it's just a very um, paranoid document is is one of the feelings that I read in it. When you take it, what you take from it. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating that you mentioned that, right? As soon as you talked about sort of their naming of uh, the destruction of equipment as violent, it made me think of the uprisings in Baltimore and Ferguson and, you know, any sort of time where, right, we've seen in our course of our history that people, especially black people have been fed up and what they latch on to is the looting, is the destruction of, you know, a target, uh, the breaking of of storefront windows. And it's like, you know, yes, that's happening, but that's not violence. What the violence that got us here, the violence that precipitated that is what we really need to address here. Mm. Um, And so that, yeah, that just, I don't know, brought me right back to (laughs) thinking about those situations and how we're not willing to, or, you know, these systems, these people, uh, our government isn't willing to sort of address the root cause of the Mm -hmm. issue and instead as you talk about like the sky is falling like sort of look over here like think about this yeah Mm -hmm. um i it sounds like nonsense (laughs) it sounds it sounds like it's full of some uh, ignorance right like ignorance sort of in the broadest sense of the word like it's Mm -hmm. just disturbing nonsense and and it's I think what it ultimately 
is or what it sounds like it is is sort of this way to help keep pro- the progress towards making Cop City facility a reality. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, look at these bad people, these bad actors down here and the violence that they're, you know, in, participating in. Um, and this is why we need this facility. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Hand in hand. Hand in hand. So... Yeah, that's that's great. I'm glad you read some of it. Uh, I couldn't bring myself to do that. <laughs> um, there's um, there's another thing that um, Bush and Talib bring up in this article that I wanted to talk about um, because I think it's important to talk about and analyze sort of the full spectrum of this oppression and how it intersects or impacts the intersections, I should say, of racism and environmental justice. And this is something that was big when we talked about those two pieces back in March, mm-hmm. uh, the Bitter Southerner piece. And I, oh, I'm blanking on where the other one was from. But Bush and Tlaib say this, quote, we cannot allow for the suppression of our rights to dissent. And while the repression is always intolerable, it bears noting that Cop City is the apex of injustice. Mm -hmm. Tearing down trees in black and brown communities at a moment of reckoning with the climate crisis to perpetuate the prison industrial complex demonstrates an an astounding lack of morality, foresight and care for those living in these neighborhoods. This is racist. One of the forest defenders recently said, quote, the intersection between the climate crisis, growing inequality, and the militarization of cops is emblematic here, but it's a problem everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I just really appreciated that quote and the sort of the linkage to, again, what we read from the Bitter Southern in particular back in March. But this idea that it's so important to recognize that the work being done by Every facet of the legal system and the and the criminal punishment system in Georgia and and beyond, as we talked mm-hmm. about, is having such a profound impact on so many aspects of our aspects of our lives, of our society, of folks' ability to sort of you know live the life that they deserve to, um, you know, have systems and, and infrastructures and institutions that you know are for them that meet our needs, mm-hmm. as opposed to this bajillion square foot you know, cop facility. Right? Yeah. 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 And yeah, it's just, it all ties back. To, like you said, the indictment really is a way to prove that they need it. Yes. And I think that that's uh, very astute. Like this is, it's all a way to prove like, look at this, look at this, these dangerous people who yeah. are in our community, they want to stop this thing, but look, we need it to be able to stop them from stopping us needing this thing. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a cycle. It's a circle, uh, circular logic, um, that doesn't, it doesn't, uh, square. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's and a that's, lot of weird metaphors. That was, so that was, sorry, but, but no, it was, it's, yeah. it's all sort of that circular logic to get us to a place of something that we just don't need. Mm-hmm. Right. We know we don't need. Yeah. And, um, There's a quote from the toward the end of this article um, where Bush and Tlaib say, quote, we must transform our approach to public safety and adopt policies and practices that will truly keep our communities safe. Instead of funneling taxpayer dollars into militarized policing and prosecutorial abuse, we must invest that money in the basic needs of our communities and provide universal health care, public housing, universal child care, strong unions and livable wages. We all have a right to participate in our democratic process, and that includes the right to nonviolently protest decisions our governments make. 
Man, it's like they're here, right? Having yeah. this conversation with us. That's perfect, right? Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, this aligns so much with a lot of the things that we talk about here on the yeah. show. Um, do we need public and private investment to the tune of tens of millions of dollars in mm. a police training facility? No. Or could we collectively use that money in ways that would directly benefit the people and communities who are targeted by police or who will be impacted by the construction of this facility? Yes. Which, by the way, the city owns this land. And I think we talked about this last time. Yeah. I think that quote that you pulled from the Bitter Southern, we also like said word for word on here last time, too. <laughs> but the land is owned by the city, but it's in the county that's adjoining. Yes. And so the people who actually live near what could be the facility, the construction, all of that will happen against the will of the people who live right next door yep. to all of the construction of it. Yeah. But they don't have a say in the process because they're not city residents. Mm-hmm. So it's just astounding. Yes. Yes. And I just love those questions. Like, you know, do we need to use this money on a police training facility? Could we, or could we actually use this money to directly benefit the people there? Could we use this money to directly impact the earth mm-hmm. in which these people are inhabiting and the and the ways in which, you know, climate change is wreaking havoc on our, our, our livable communities, the air we breathe, the water we drink, right? But no, instead, let's carve this land up and build this facility. No, that's yeah. not what we need at all. And the again, those intersections there yeah. um, are important to recognize. So, yeah, this is infuriating. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, let me take my fury. Hey, Damien. Hey, Aaron. You know what's coming up? What's that? Uh, at least once this unseasonable heat wave ends. Okay. It's my favorite season. Ooh. Mm-hmm. The fall of the white supremacist, capitalist, imperialist patriarchy. <laughs> you know, October. Yes. Uh, and with that comes some cooler temperatures. And as the cool kids call it, sweater weather or hoodie season. I love sweater weather. That's right. This is the best season, the Indeed. fall, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you didn't know, folks listening, we've got a merch store where you can get a hoodie for the fall. Indeed. In fact, we've got lots of great apparel for the fall. We've got a few hoodies on our site, a long sleeve shirt, a nice pair of jogger pants, and even a mug for your hot cocoa or whatever you want to put in that thing. Indeed. And if you buy something now with promo code 15 off, that's 150FF, you'll get 15% off your total purchase. And you can use that code up until October 31st. So go ahead and get cozy for spooky season. Hashtag spooky season. I love it. Just visit our website, interdependentstudy.com, and click the merch link on the top menu, and you'll be transported directly to our store. And don't forget to use the promo code 15OFF. Man, I can't wait to see all this merch out there in the wild. I love it. Can I shift us here, talk about, and let's talk about application, right? Like how does this article, how does our conversation apply to our day-to-day lives? I think there is obviously a tremendous amount of application from all of this, like, and 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 so much of what we've talked about today, the the arrests, the the indictments, the murders of Stop Cop City organizers and protesters, I think is alarming. And it should alarm all all of us, mm-hmm. if, if, if state governments and police and the criminal punishment system can do this and we allow them to continue to do this, then it will never stop mm-hmm. and it will only get worse and it will only creep, I think, and impact more aspects of 
all of our lives. And so I think it's important that we talk about this, right? That folks know what's happening down in Atlanta and mm-hmm. in these other cities that we talked about. And we've talked about even more cities than that on this podcast. Yep. And we have to stand up against it and work to transform our approach to to public safety because mm-hmm. this ain't it. And I'm just, again, I'm just really concerned about the idea that if if we allow this to happen, like that that creep is what I'm, I'm so concerned about. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, this applies to all of our day-to-day lives, yeah. whether we live near this facility or not. I, yes. The money spent on training facilities like this is only going to increase. Mm. This is going to be a trend in local governments who think that this will solve the issues that they're seeing. Right. And we've seen stuff like this throughout the last couple decades where cities will invest in large construction projects like stadiums or whatever as a way to create local jobs for right. people. Um, um, and so this is, this fits into a pattern that they do that, that yes. has happened in in local governments in that way. And we're going to see that pop up more. Um, you know, there's one being discussed in San Pablo, California. There's one in Col- Colorado Springs, just up the road from us in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, and if there isn't a facility being discussed or proposed, it's likely that the police budget is being increased in your local government and that those funds can more directly benefit the people in your city, in your community. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of scare tactics. There's a lot of scare talking points about crime going up um, precipitously and in some ways in very in some small pockets like that might be true but in general like it's not man um but the narrative about crime is that it's going up everywhere right and that's driving some of these discussions around and decisions and decisions around what we need to invest in in cities including increasing police budgets like this and it's all driven by this hyper i don't want to say fictitious but like uh it's a hyperbole it's it's taking pieces of fact and and blowing it up to make it seem like more than what it is it's a it's a it's a molehill becoming a mountain look at you today yeah um i there there's it's there's always i love it when there's synergy between our application i hadn't thought about that but you know i was concerned about this idea of the the creep and the impact on this infringement of our rights uh, beyond what we're seeing here. And, and you're talking about this idea that there, if it, it's successful here, there could be a replication of that and the, the bajillions of dollars being spent on this in other places. And that's a real fear too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we all have to know what's going on here, be paying attention to it um, and working to advocate against it yeah right absolutely yeah. and i i mean we've talked about police budgets in the past yes. here a couple times but we've seen that creep that you talk about happen also with those budgets where they creep yes. up and they creep uh, up and they creep up and then they're they're taking away money from other services that could be yes. happening and having a positive impact that would address some of the things that might create the conditions in which people feel the need to commit things that are called crimes yes there it is. Absolutely. Very good. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about homework, right? What do we want to do when we leave this table today to continue our learning? Um, I actually want to spend some more time on the Stop Cop Cities website. Mm-hmm. Uh, the website is stopcop.city. Stop and it's got some really great resources and information on it, including 
ways to learn more about what Cop City is, like this facility in Atlanta, what the organizers are trying to do, um, suggestions for us for how to get involved with the movement, which I think is mm. great, ways to support the organizers down in Atlanta. There's also a really incredibly moving section of the website that's just dedications and memorials to Tortuguita, uh, who, as you, you know, we talked about the last time, was one of the leaders of the Stop Cop City movement um, who was assassinated by Georgia State Police. So, yeah, I just want to kind of poke around more on the website, you know, um, and, and see what more I can learn. What about you? Yeah, that'd be great to check out. So I echo that. My homework is to learn more about this proposal in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, the initial reports, because it, it got sent to like the stadium construction administration. I forget the actual yeah. official title. Like those folks. But th those kind of people in the state, uh, and it says it'll cost $330 million to build, Jeez. which is nuts to consider when there are schools in Baltimore City that don't have functioning water, that have yep. lead in their water, yep. or don't have air conditioning. They so, sure do. Yep. Um, like $330 million could, could do some of the work mm -hmm. on those issues first, uh, you know, or maybe there's ways to f make sure people have their needs taken care of. Yes. Um, like do people have places to live? There's, there's there lots of ways to address other things. Do people have access to a nutritious food? Do they have access to healthcare? There's so many better priorities for a city that could use, that $330 million. In so many better ways than yeah. that. That's so interesting. So is it sort of this idea that they're trying to pass this through uh, the stadium? And, like, is it is this a shady way of going about doing this? Like, I don't, I guess, I don't know. I should what? read more. My inclination is that because the facility is so large, it's going through ah. that and it's connected to a public. Th I, that's my impression. That Having not read a ton about it, okay. just that that's where it went and they estimated that it would cost 330 million. Wow. Okay. No, we're yeah. Baltimore's home. So we're definitely going to look this up. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to spend some time it, figuring I this out. I believe yeah. it's going to be, the proposal is it's in the city. Um, and so mm. one of the things I read is like, this is also a police department that is under um, a federal, ooh, forgot the term, but they're being watched by the Department yes. of Justice yes. uh, for violations of people's civil, civil rights. rights in the past, yep. uh, including the murder of Freddie Gray. Yeah. But sure, let's build this $330 yeah. million dollar facility for right. them. Right. No. Um, and so that was one of the points that I, that of, of a local organization that I read recently that like, we don't need this because they're under this, they're under this watch. Yeah. Uh, and so, all. yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. We're going to, we're going to learn more about that. Absolutely. Uh, all right, my friend, you're up next time. Yeah. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? So I'm bringing a couple of articles from The Forge oh, um, yeah. because they just keep releasing great stuff for yes. us to bring here. They recently released an issue called The State of Abolition. There are a variety of articles included in that issue. I want to say there's eight, maybe 10. There's a bunch. Yes. I'm going to bring two. But these articles span from um, connecting abolition with emergent strategy, linking abolition and anti-capitalism, health justice, migrant justice, housing justice, and a lot more. Uh, so I'm bringing an article called What Time Is It on the Clock of Abolitionist Organizing by Andrea Ritchie and After the Uprising in D.C. and Beyond by Makia Green. 
The first one is actually some remarks from Andrea Ritchie from the Abolitionist Gathering at the 2022 Allied Media Conference, and it's, quote, an assessment of the current conditions in which the abolitionist movement exists. And the second one is a reflection on, quote, the profound challenges and real achievements realized by the modern abolitionist movement. So it just seems like a really great way to check in on some of the things that are happening on the ground yes. with people doing abolitionist organizing and participating in the abolitionist movement. And so they seem like great articles from organizers who are doing lots of lots of good stuff. Absolutely. Well, spoiler alert, I saw that you were proposing these as articles and I read them already. Oh. Uh, they were they were they were fantastic. And you're right. You're spot on in sort of that they are really great. It's, a, it's going to be a great way for us to catch up with what's happening right now and and really talk about um, where we need to go to sort of given all that's happened, like since 2020 in particular and, and the uprisings we saw in that year, the, they were phenomenal. So I'm yep. very much so looking forward to chatting about them next time. Yeah, and I toyed with bringing the whole issue and I was like, there's too much here for us to get to. Yeah. I'll just bring two and then we can bring more later. There it is. So Love that. That's that's where my head went with that. Very so. good, good. Well, I've already read the two, so I'm glad. Don't, don't give me more. No. Uh, <laughs> well, since you already read those two. No, then. no, 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 no. You got you to gotta read them now. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that next week. All right, with that, we want to thank you for joining us this week, today, and for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what we're going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with the people in your life, follow us on the socials, including the TikTok, uh, check us out on YouTube as well, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes, thank you so much for listening today, whatever day it is where you're listening, <laughs> Yes, wherever you're listening. Remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week.